0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Common Ground is a core class that meets weekly at Christ's Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Our teacher, Learick Fesco, is using this series to take a look at some of the parables of Christ. We hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: All right, can I uh, share with you one of my pet peeves? I'd like to share with you some uh, pet peeve of mine. Uh, maybe you all have the same pet peeve, uh, and this every time makes me do a big old eye roll. Uh, when someone is passive-aggressive, okay? When someone is passive that drives me up the wall, okay? And what I find curious about passive-aggressivism, if that's a word, uh, is how young it's learned, okay? I remember being blown away at how young my children were when they started uh, to engage in this type of behavior. Uh, it plays out something like this. Instead of straight asking for something like, Dad, can we go to the movies today? They'll ask something like this. Dad, I know you're going to say no, but... <laughs> I'll ask it anyway. Do you think we can go to the movies today? Okay, so now what bothers me about is, is, first of all, if they know I'm going to say no, why do you even bother to ask? But what really bothers me about it is that those little rascals, they're trying to manipulate me. That's what's happening here. You see, they start off by asking, I know you're going to say no, so they think that predisposes me to think, well, you don't know how I'm going to answer, so maybe I am going to say no, maybe I'm going to say yes, or I'm going to say yes, take that like that. Do you see what they've done there? That's diabolical. They've, they've, <laughs> they've manipulated me and how, how and how young were they when they first started? That? I remember it was the same thing. Dad, I know you're gonna say I can't have a cookie. They were this, they were this big and they were, they were doing like that and who taught them that? Not me. Maybe their mother, but not me. <laughs> not me for sure. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Uh, But that's exactly what they're doing here. Now, I've said it before, but I've come to realize that our children are nothing more than little caricatures of us. Our children are caricatures of us. Everything that they do is an exaggerated version of what we are. We're the very same way. Uh, Do you know that I've caught myself praying passive-aggressive prayers? I have, Lord, Lord, I don't, I don't, you know, I know you're omnipotent. It comes out a little bit more sophisticated, you know, than, than, than maybe my children are, but, it, but it's along the same line. I know you're, you're going to do what you're going to do, and that's for my glory, or for your glory, and for not for my gain, you know, but I'm going to pray it anyway, God, okay? Uh, it, it's, it's just like that. It's the same thing, but just a little bit different, but, but here's what I know in my head. Here's, here's what the, the, my studies of the Bible have taught me. I know that God, at the end of, of the day, will do what glorifies him. He's going to do that. He will do it. glorifies Him. He's going to accomplish His will, and He will bring about uh, uh, His will, and there's nothing that's going to thwart that. Nothing. Nothing will thwart that. All right? So it's really easy to find yourself approaching prayer with an attitude of, of, why should I bother to pray if He's going to do what He's going to do anyway? Right? What's the point of prayer? Why pray if God is just going to do what He's going to do anyway? You know, I've ca- I found myself caught in that trap, and I've found myself thinking those very thoughts, and, and I'll, I'll admit that to you. Uh, or maybe you've come to the place where you wonder if your, your prayers are even making it past the ceiling, because you know you've been praying and praying and praying for something, and nothing is changing, and you've just grown weary, and you've just grown weary of praying. And, and it's often that we find ourselves in this state when we consider the parable that we're about to look at today. And the parable we're looking at is, is uh, known as the parable of the persistent widow. Okay, the parable of the persistent widow. You, you uh, may not remember the parable off the top of your head. I, I sent you an email yesterday for those of you that are on our list uh, to go ahead and read that if you can. Maybe you had a chance to do that. Um, but we'll, we'll go ahead and read through it today from the start. Uh, so you can either turn your Bibles there to follow along with us or follow along up here. I'll put it up here. Uh, Luke 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. So what I want us to do is we'll, we'll, we'll read through it one time and, uh, and take a quick interpretive view on it take a quick interpretive take, uh, and we'll go ahead and, and uh, try and deduce its meaning, quickly deduce. We'll read it through one time and try and quickly deduce its meaning, which is what we tend to do when we read the scriptures. We read through it once and then try and do a quick take on it, okay? And sometimes when we do that, we miss the deeper meaning. We miss the, the broader meaning, okay? Uh, so but, uh, like we said before, Jesus taught in parables to clarify and to conceal to clarify and to conceal, that means there's probably a meaning that's easily understood on the surface, but there's also another meaning that might be uh, underneath the surface that he would later reveal to his disciples, okay? Or a meaning that's later revealed to us in light of the unfolding gospel, okay? So here we go. This is Luke 18, verses 1 and following, and it says this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find will he find faith on earth. So there's our parable. Okay? Does anyone want to give a quick take on this parable? I know there's probably no one that wants to raise their hand right now because they feel they're going to be wrong and miss the hidden meaning and all that. But let me set your mind at ease. Your initial take probably isn't wrong. Okay. Your initial take probably isn't wrong. And so what do you think the initial read or the initial interpretive take on this parable is? Now, for those of you that maybe do know what there might be the deeper meaning behind it, just hang tight for a second. What what I'm trying to ask is, what do you think is the immediate interpretive view of someone who reads this parable? What do you think it is? How do people... Yes? I'm just guessing. Go for it. Figure this out. All more... Yeah, go for it. <coughs> just wait. Just wait. Patience. 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 Pray yes. and be patient. Good. Anyone else? Anyone want to take it? Okay, yes. Christopher.
0: The judge's motivation was not properly out of justice, is not properly out of a righteous motivation, but it wound up working in the way that the widow needed and wanted mm-hmm. uh, anyways. So the, the method of getting from, getting your s- specific result is not always going to be the method that you expect or
1: want. Good. I'm, I'm going to need a substitute in a couple weeks, I think. <laughs> do you, do you think you might want to? Anyone else? Someone else? A quick interpretive take. What do we generally interpret? This how do we generally interpret this parable? What's like the you
0: keep asking, you're gonna get what you ask for. That's
1: usually what people do when they, they read this parable and they think, okay, I what I think is being communicated to me here is that if I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray <coughs> and I pray that eventually God's gonna say, Okay. Okay, fine, you can have it, okay? That's usually that's usually what what, what the with the quick take on is let me let me first go and tell you what this parable isn't saying. How do you when you say be patient uh-huh I continue to ask continue to ask continue to ask how you just how do you match that up against the word speedily speedily that's right oh good good question good question okay let's 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 dive in here because again if, if it is if this is a lesson on patience and it says speedily here it seems to be a a uh, a breakdown here of, of uh, interpretive view here, right? So let me, let me tell you what this parable isn't saying, okay? Um, this parable isn't said. The quick take is usually something like, see, we have to be persistent like the widow and pray and pray until finally God answers our prayer. We have to pester God until he, he relents, until what we've been praying for. That's not quite it, okay? That's not quite it. Uh, the, so many of Jesus' parables, he begins by saying, the kingdom of God is like unto this, That's how he begins a lot of his parables. And then he launches into the parable whereby we find a a point of comparison between an element in the parable and an element in the kingdom of God. Okay, this parable, however, we actually see what the kingdom of God isn't. Okay, so in the words, uh, Jesus could, he could, in Jesus' words, he could have started the parable by saying, the kingdom of God isn't like unto this. All right, let me show you what I mean. First of all, we have two main characters in this parable. First, let's look at the judge. Verse two, he said... In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Okay, like we've tried to do with the other parables we've looked at. Imagine you're in the crowd. Okay, imagine you're the crowd listening to Jesus. He starts his parable with that line, there was a, gu- there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Unlike the original audience, when, when we read the parable, we don't have an immediate context to pull from. We're just reading words here. So we, we have to imagine ourselves in the original context. What was going on? Who was the audience that Jesus was speaking to? We sort of think that when we read this, that Jesus was just talking about a generic judge who didn't fear God or respect man. However, when, when Jesus says this, the description is not lost on his listeners. Okay? For instance, if I were to say something like this, there once was a president who had a funny haircut. (laughs) Okay. Now whether you know my political leanings or not, you'll probably start to assume I'm about to say something about our current president. This may be a shock to some of you that he has what might be described as a funny haircut, okay? But if I said that that same sentence in a room full of his staunch supporters, there once was a president with a funny haircut in a room full of his most staunch supporters, they might immediately go on the offense. Okay? Be careful what you say here. It sounds like you're you're bringing up fighting words because that was not necessarily complimentary. But I know what you're referring to, and you you can't hide me. You can't you can't fool me with all your word trickery. We know what you're talking about, right? (laughs) So when Jesus opens with the line, "There once was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man," his audience would have picked up on this. Okay, who do you think he was referring to here? Who do you think he was referring to? (laughs) Who? Rome. (laughs) Rome or anyone? Pilate? Anyone else? The Pharisees? Maybe the Sadducees? Who are, all, who are most of these par- parables uh, directed at in an underlying kind of way? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Okay, this is the beauty of what, what Jesus is saying here. This is the beauty of what he's saying here. Who are you talking about here, Jesus? The highest court in Israel at the time was known as the Great Sanhedrin, Okay, comprised of some 71 religious experts. And then there was a layer of, of, of uh, religious courts under the Great Sanhedrin known as the Lesser Sanhedrin. Okay? And of course the lesser Sanhedrin was greatly influenced by the great Sanhedrin. All right? So he could have been talking about them. But in addition, in addition to those judges, Rome, Rome had appointed some judges of their own who looked after the interest of Caesar. All right? And as you might imagine, those Roman magistrates neither feared God nor respected man. They were Romans, those pagans, right? So who is the judge in this parable? Sure. It's the Roman magistrate, but if the shoe fits, okay? If the shoe fits, catch my drift. Yeah, right. We're talking about the Romans here. They, they were unjust judges who neither feared God nor respected man. Wink. Okay? As the Pharisees and Sadducees sat there wondering, is Jesus being passive aggressive here? That's, that's, that might be what they're thinking because, again, Jesus always had sort of a side comment for the Sadducees and Pharisees that w- wasn't clearly on the surface, wasn't clearly visible on the surface. But... Okay, this is applied to the Roman magistrates, but, hey, like I said, if the shoe fits, Pharisees, Sadducees, listen up, all right? So, that's one of our characters in this parable. Who's the second character here? It's a widow. What do you need to know about the widow in that original audience uh, that that original audience would have automatically known? The widow was probably the most marginalized of the marginalized, okay? Am I not there yet? Oh, oh, that's okay. We're coming. I'll, we'll leave that up there for now. So the widow is the most uh, marginalized of the marginalized. Okay. Um, if, if uh, any woman had to appear before a judge, first of all, it probably wouldn't have been a woman in the first place. It would have been their husband, their brother, or any distant relative, any distant male relative that could have pleaded her case on her behalf. So in this context, if a woman, a woman is actually pleading her own case before the judge, you know what that means? Obviously she doesn't have a husband, And if she's a widow, uh, she obviously doesn't have, but it also means that she doesn't have a brother or cousin or neighbor or any distant male relative that could have pleaded her case on her behalf. So if she's this widow pleading her case before a judge, this is the most marginalized of the marginalized, okay? Someone that does not have an advocate, someone that is before this judge as a last-ditch effort, okay? Uh, um, A voice who barely has a voice pleading her case before this judge who neither feared God nor respected man, okay? Now, do you see the disparate nature of the characters here? Alright? Do you see the image that, that Jesus is trying to paint for us? It's not like Jesus is saying here, imagine you're the widow and I'm the judge. No, he's painting a picture of extremes here. That's what he's doing. Imagine the worst judge you can think of. Now imagine the most desperate, advocateless person you can think of. Now the stage is set. Alright? So so here's someone with no hope, yet what does she do? She keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. She won't leave the judge alone, all right, until he finally relents, not because he suddenly fears God and, and respects man, but why? Why does, he, why does he finally relent here? What's his purpose of relenting? I, I just want her off my back. I just want her to stop bothering me. Okay, I'm just tired of the, the hassle that this is creating, so I'm going to stop. And so it's, the, it's at this point Jesus tells us, see, the kingdom of heaven isn't like this. The kingdom of heaven isn't like this, as if he's saying the end result, if the end result is a helpless widow getting justice from an unjust judge, what can you, a child of God, expect from a righteous and holy God when you cry out to him with your prayers? Okay, that's what you can expect. See, so far, so good. Any questions on that much so far? That much clear so far? Good. Any thoughts, comments? Good. All right, let's keep going. Um, So what we've covered so far is just that initial meaning on the surface. This is what anyone who'd read this parable might be able to come to and conclude on their own just by reading that. With all these parables, we're looking for the meaning on the surface, yes, but we're also trying to explore and discover what the meaning uh, of the parable that we're, we're missing. What's the thing we're missing here? Now, there are a number of reasons why we might miss the parable's meaning. We might miss the meaning because Jesus was deliberately nebulous about what he was telling his audience. We might miss it because we've just misread it. We might miss it because we've completely missed the context, okay? Now, if we stop the lesson right here, which many well-meaning people often do, we'll go away thinking this is a parable that, like we said at the beginning, encourages us to just pray and pray and pray, and don't stop praying until God answers our prayer, okay? Whatever it is, whatever it is, like I said before, that's not quite it. Notice how this parable starts. What is the first word in our parable, verse one? Anyone have that? And, I was always told don't start a sentence with an and, okay? Now it's kind of cool to do it. If you're really trying to make a point, you know, and he gave thanks, period, and then he died. It's very dramatic. (laughs) It's very dramatic to do something like that, okay? Uh, Do you want to start a parable with with it? Do you want to start a whole paragraph? Do you want to start a story with the word and? Just so you know, in the original context, and when this was written in Greek, there was no chapter breaks. There were no chapter numbers or anything. So this was a, a continuation of something else that was, he was previously saying okay so and, and i checked most every translation and it either starts with and or then and what would that imply that something is going on before there's a previous train of thought that this is being carried over from so if this is a parable that teaches the value of persistent prayer we might ask ourselves are we being taught to be persistent in prayer for anything that we might pray for anything anything okay for example, am I mishandling the text if I leave here praying that God would give me permission to cheat on my wife? Is he ever going to answer that prayer in the affirmative? No. No, he's not. Okay. No, he's not. Uh, but what if I pray and pray and pray and pray and pray persistently about it? Will he, will he, will he eventually answer in the affirmative? What if I keep praying and just bother about it? Will he, will he ever answer in the affirmative there? He will not. He will not. Okay. So quick take, that's not what this parable is talking about. Okay, the lesson here is not to pester God until he relents. So what that means is that he must be talking about specific things that we pray for without season until he ceasing, until he answers our prayer in the affirmative. All right. Before we turn the page back to chapter 17, can we think of what that might be? Is there something that we can pray for and pray and pray and pray and pray and keep on praying until he answers our prayer because he knows we know that he will answer it in accordance with how we pray. Is there something you can think of that if we just keep praying and praying, he will eventually say yes?
0: Thy kingdom come.
1: Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. His return, okay? My, my kids right now, uh, they, they, they've saved up enough, of, enough money to, uh, to actually purchase uh, dirt bikes, okay? And I'm sorry you're here this morning because <laughs> you're about to... Uh, hear this. Uh, But
0: yes,
1: (laughs) dirt bikes, uh, motorcycles of various size and quality. Yes, they're cheap dirt bikes. And when you're looking to buy a motorcycle that will propel you so much faster than a bicycle could down the street, cheap may not be the primary feature you're looking for in a dirt bike, but this is what my children have settled upon. Now, they've been saving and saving, doing jobs around the house and jobs around the neighborhood, around our house, and they've, they've finally got enough money, and almost daily now. Almost daily now. Dad, can we order these cheap dirt bikes that we found on the internet? You see, there's a significant hurdle that the kids have that they have to clear in order to be able to buy these motorized cycles. That hurdle is primarily their mother. (laughs) You see, when I was their age, I had all kinds of motorized vehicles, all... All of which I crashed at some point, all of them, I at some point, all of them, maybe it's the boy and me, and you somehow forget all that and just remember the fun. Their mom, on the other hand, uh, that 's all she can think about. She had a brother who also had many motorized vehicles who ended up on in the ER more times than she can recall. Am I right? <laughs> more times than she can recall. Uh, Boys crash their vehicles, motorized or otherwise. And I suspect this is the case for many girls too. I don't want to be uh, stereotypical here, but so most, almost on the daily now, we're we're still getting, please, please can we order these bikes? Please can we order these motor? We promise we'll be so careful. We promise we won't go more than 10 miles per hour. Now I'm afraid they're going to have to wait a few more years, you know, until mother gives in. I'm being supportive of their mother, of course, uh, and, and they they may need to wait until they're about 30 years old, is what we're estimating. <laughs> but they can ask and ask and ask, right? But the answer right now, at least right now, is still is still no. At least for today, the answer is no. Don't give up, okay? <laughs> So, again, what is the thing that we can pray for, pray for right now? What is the thing we can pray for right now? We know the answer, at least eventually, will be yes, His return. His return. We can pray for His return because He said He was going to come back. He promised He was going to come back. And so that's something you can pray and pray for, and it will eventually be answered yes. Yes, come quickly, Father, okay? This is from the chapter just before this one. This is Luke 17, 20 to 24. So this is right before. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here "Here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of these days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now think about the context here. Okay. The point that Jesus is making has everything to do with putting his disciples in the right frame of mind while they await his return. Okay, there's an immediate sense to what he's talking about, and there's a long view in mind to what he's talking about. There's an immediate sense, and this, this passage goes on to say, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. There's going to come a time when, when they're going to come after me, and, and you're going to want to lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And there's a long view that he's putting in their minds, too. Once Jesus is crucified and he ascends, and as they await his, the final consummation of his kingdom, guess what? It's not going to be, it's not going to be easy for the disciples after he ascends. It's not going to, it's going to get bad. It's going to get really bad. In fact, all the apostles, except for John, were martyred. That's how bad it got. Okay. But for anyone else who is listening that was also following Jesus, which by extension would include you too. Okay. Yeah. It's going to get rough. It's going to get rough. It's going to get really rough and don't lose heart. Pray, pray, and keep on praying for my return. Keep praying for the kingdom of God on earth. Don't stop praying because unlike the unjust judge, I am just okay? I will right every wrong. I will balance the scales of justice. I will answer this prayer in the affirmative. And then he tells this parable, which ends like this, which might not have made much sense unless uh, the first time you read it, unless you understood this context. Uh, and it says this, and will not God give justice to his elect? Think of this, okay? Remember, these are, these are disciples that are about to go through some suffering, some really hard times, okay? And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he long Will he delay to longer them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, even to answer your question, Chip, speedily, it sure doesn't feel speedily, does it? It's I mean it's been at least a couple thousand years now, right? right. So how do we quantify speedily? How do we quantify speedily? I don't know the answer to this. (laughs) What's that? in the light of eternity. This, is, this, is, this will be, a, it is a blink of an eye, okay? And I know, I know sometimes that's not much consolation. I know it feels like uh, this is going on forever, but you will get justice. You will get justice at some point and he will right every wrong. And then you, you have to look at it from that eternal standpoint because when he does come back, when you read in Revelation 21, he is gonna undo everything. Every bad thing he's gonna undo and right every wrong. And in that respect, even the things that we suffer through now suddenly have a, a, a greater context and you will appreciate that even more for having been through the suffering than if you hadn't been through the suffering at all. Okay? Yeah, Luke.
0: But in, like, this parable and the parable of, uh, like, or the father, you know, if you ask your father, you know fathers. If you ask your father for bread, he doesn't give you a stone. If you ask him for a fish, he doesn't give you a serpent. You know goodness from sinners in mm-hmm. these types that I've given you to understand me better. How much more so from a perfect God? Mm-hmm. Just building that reassurance and 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 confidence in who God is. Like, wait, I, I I know from a sinful judge that there can be goodness and and mercy, and I know from a sinful father that there can be goodness and mercy. How much from a perfect father can I trust? If I can see it in brokenness, how much more so is it in perfect
1: Imperf- imperfection? Right, that's beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, I think
0: going back to the speedily thing, mm-hmm. I, I also think there's a a certain like connotation of like right on time, Mm -hmm. you know, like that, that it may not feel speed, you know, fast or whatever, but that the Bible, the whole Bible talks about his return as like at (laughs) that hour, like that day on that last day or like that. And um, that he's not coming late, that, that it is all like that he is waiting that all may be brought to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, all that will (laughs) anyway. Like, I, I think there is also this sense of speedily that, that it's at the right time.
1: I, I think that, that especially hits home for me. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, as a lot of you know, I think most of you know that, I, I was just hired to be a part of the staff of the church here. Do you know I finished seminary some 22 years ago? <laughs> 22, year, 22 years ago, and I found my first church 22 years later. And there's a sense in that, you know, because when I, when I finished seminary at the time, there, there's this thought that I, you know, for a number of reasons, I didn't go into the, to the ministry at that point. I had, uh, and I can be happy to tell you about that sometime. I didn't, didn't go into, but I thought I was essentially walking away from ministry at that point. I really thought that was it. I thought that was my chance, and I, I said no at that time, and, and that was it. And little did I know, now looking back on the last 22 years, you know, it really does not seem like it's been a long time and i see you know what i believed back then what i understood back then and how that all unfolded and how i was able to then you know come to this church 15 years ago and then really start teaching this class 8 years ago and how all of these things slowly started to unfold and and you know i can look back now and say well, I, I was i was in ministry all along i was in ministry all along and then 22 years later i i am suddenly in my first full-time ministry position and you know what it, fe- it it feels right on time it feels exactly right it feels like nothing uh, happened by accident. It feels like everything that was supposed to happen, happened and unfolded the way it was supposed to unfold. And now I can stand here and saying, thank you, God, for your perfect timing. And and I I really stand back amazed at at how he did this and how he unfolds this. It's just remarkable. Yeah, Luke.
0: And that's how how Christ is always, Christ himself is described, like the, the pleroma, the fullness, fulfillment fullness of time at the exact right time Christ came and for thousands of years God's people waiting on these promises and they could not have come more magnificently or more perfectly than when they came and on this side of the cross we get to look back and be like oh that is is a trustworthy God Mm -hmm. that was worth the wait and it was everything he promised to be and everything we couldn't even imagine it and more, to be yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. How much more so in the second coming?
1: Uh, Josh, and then I'll land the plug here. This is from a uh, former pastor of mine, but it really struck me. Um, uh, he was talking about making
0: decisions and praying for things. He said, God is never in a hurry, but he's never late.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's never in a hurry, um, he's never late. And I think about like stories like Lazarus and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. like and, 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 you know, and, and he stopped... And, and was able to sit and, you know, and, and, and console and weep while he waited for his, you know, perfect... You I, know, I perfect love that story promise. because we know, he knows what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. He knows but yet he does all those things that we would normally, we, he mourns. He, he sheds a tear and, and shakes his fist at, at death. He knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen, but yet he still goes through the paces of it. That's, that's a great point. Thank you, Josh. See, so this isn't a parable. This isn't a parable about praying for whatever you want and just keep bothering him until he answers in the affirmative, right? It's about praying for something specific relentlessly and don't stop praying because he's promised he will answer it in the affirmative, all right? He will return and he will bring you justice, all right? Now, uh, one final thought, and this has to do with the overall nature of prayer, because uh, why do we do it? Why do we do it then? You know, will praying for his return speed his return, Okay. Will praying for anything alter the course of God's plan? And that's probably a a fuller conversation for another day, especially how I might answer this question. But no, you you can pray until you're blue in the face, and you won't alter God's plan, okay? So why do we do it? Why do we do it? In the movie uh, Shadowlands, C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying this, and for years I thought he actually said this, and then I found out, no, it's only in Shadowlands, but... (laughs) It still remains true, nonetheless. It's a true sentiment. He said this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. It doesn't change God, it changes me. I don't know if this is unique to my house or my marriage in particular, and it doesn't happen too frequently, but it does happen. But Tracy will detail a problem or a dilemma for me, and then I'll immediately go to cobbling out a solution for her, but then she stops me short and she says something to the effect of, sometimes I just need you to listen. Sometimes I just need you to listen, I need you to listen. Now, on a logical level, this makes no sense to me, right? But, you see, she's not looking for a logical solution in the moment. Uh, she, she, what she's looking for in the moment is that, and I have to remind myself all the time, is that she's looking for me to relate to her. All right. Our heavenly father invites us to come into his presence and have a private audience with him and, and, and set before him those things which we carry around and, and are burdened by. Okay. Again, he knows what we need before we ever even approach him and ask him. Okay. But it is for our benefit and our good that we have the opportunity to relate to him and have our image conformed to his. All right? Now, does this mean our prayer has no effectiveness whatsoever? No. I'm not willing to go that far. Okay? God is mysterious. He doesn't exist on a linear timeline like we do. All right? We're told in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay? As it is working. It's doing something. It's not for nothing. In the same way, God could just speak and make the grass grow. He could could look at the grass and say, Grow grass, grow. And you know what? It would grow. But what does He use? Instead, He uses the, the sunlight and He uses the rain as the means by which He makes that grass grow. Okay? The means, the same way, the means by which He brings about His will, among other ways, is through prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous person. He brings you in on the process, and your prayers have an effect on the outcome of what he's bringing about. Okay? So, yes, continue to pray. It does something. Pray for his return. Pray for his justice. Pray for his peace. Pray for his kingdom. And he will answer in the affirmative. And he will shape and mold you and conform you to his likeness in the meantime. Okay? Any final thoughts or comments before we, we wrap that up? It'll uh, be going to the back, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Well, I just
0: think, um, sort of as an extension of that, he <coughs> we tend to think in our linear way of yes, he is, he will do this, but he's also answering us right now and saying yes, I am doing this <coughs> right now. You have to realize this is part of it, mm-hmm. and so it's just a constant reminder that this is part of the answer. Right, and you are doing it right now.
1: Right, that's it. Someone else. Yes. I,
0: I think, too, as you set that up and explained all that and the disciples and they're going to go through all this persecution and stuff and he's explaining, you know, he's coming again. The last sentence of that verse says, when the Son of Man comes, will he found faith on earth? Mm-hmm. And so, to me, as I was reading that, it's like, yeah, if you keep praying. I'm coming again. Will you keep the faith? Will you trust me in that? Will you rest? It's a call
1: to action. Will you trust me? Because
0: mm-hmm. you're going to go through a lot. And I'm gonna come
1: again, but we hope that we you remain. Mm-hmm. In? And that's what that is, his call to action in that moment is prayer. Okay, it is prayer. This is this is how you participate in his return, but through prayer, through praying for it. And that's what his call to action is at the end of that at the end of that verse. And this is how you you take an active part in in this this uh, this unfolding. Yes, uh, Rosemarie. As you were
0: discussing, I remembered uh, 2 here where it says. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a reason for why God's kingdom is not here, right? That's right.
1: Because he's gathering
0: mm-hmm. all his
1: children. And so by that measure, we don't think of his uh, non-speedily return as a delay, rather uh, his mercy as his patience, as he's, 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 he doesn't will that anyone should perish. So he's, he's prolonging the time that he can extend uh, his mercy. That's how we should frame it in our minds, you know, rather than, oh, why is he dragging his feet? No, he's, he's extending mercy to us is what he's doing. Yeah, anyone else? Okay. Well, if you have any other thoughts or comments or questions about any of that and you want to discuss it further, please come talk to me. I'm happy to do that. You can send me an email or, or text or, or just come uh, set an appointment. I have an office here now. You can come see. It has no furniture in it right now, but it has some temporary furniture, but I'd still love to have you come see me and uh, talk through anything that you'd like pertaining to any of this or anything else, okay? Uh, uh, come see me. And uh, could someone like to close us in prayer? Would like to do that for us?
0: Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you tune in next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment for us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. Have a great week!